Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad we're going to have this time together, or however as much time as you can have to listen to the show today. And if you miss any of it, I always encourage you to head to the podcast and find out what you missed, because uh, there's going to be a great show ahead. Dr. Alex McFarland is going to be joining me in just a minute. We're trying to get him on the line right now as we speak. Wyatt's busy at work with that. And then Richard Barr is going to join us, and he has an incredible ministry with homeless people. And He's going to remind us of our proximity to the homeless and the best way we can serve people in need. It's a very difficult topic, but Richard is an awesome resource, and we're going to learn more about that. And then in our second hour, Dr. Jared Stevens is joining the program for our Red Word series, The Words of Jesus, and we're going to talk about John chapter 3 and the conversation that Jesus has had with Nicodemus. So that's the plan. And I'm awfully looking forward to spending this time with you. So thank you for uh, tuning in. Dr. Alex McFarland, every time I have him on, I feel like I'm having a private conversation with a friend and other people listen in, which I suppose is uh, what we call good radio. I, I love hearing from him. I love his perspective. He's uh, timely and trusted. He's authored over uh, 20 books, and he's uh, with us now. Alex, welcome. Well, good afternoon, my dear friend. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. I'm all, I was just saying, I don't know if you heard this, but every time you're on, I feel like I'm having a, a private conversation with a friend and other people listen. <laughs> well, <laughs> which amen. I, I, which I guess is radio. That's how I feel. Do you know what? When I, um, 20 years ago this month, I got my uh, job offer from Focus on the Family. And in early 2004, I went to work for James Dobson. And oh my goodness, that was such a wonderful, wonderful uh, season of ministry. And I learned so much. But Dr. Dobson would always tell us that uh, good radio was a conversation between two friends. Oh, I love it. it, it yeah. And uh, uh, we, we are friends. And uh, I have such respect for you as a broadcaster. So, Bill, well, thank thanks, you for Alex. allowing me to be on. Thank you. I want to talk today a little bit about um, the way our culture, our world, praises individualism. It pretty much says that, you know, whatever is done in the name of personal freedom and individual choice is is good. And it mm. seems that the Bible tells us something quite differently. Yeah, you know, well, the, the technical word would be autonomy. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh -huh. it's almost as if we live in a time of uh, what I would call militant autonomy. Yes. You know? And uh, the, But the Bible says that um, it is not good for man to be alone. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Mm -hmm. The Bible says that a friend sticks closer than a brother, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And uh, l let me just say, Bill, this is amazing you would bring this topic up. I was uh, about two weeks ago today at the Billy Graham board meeting in Western North Carolina. There's several boards under the Billy Graham ministry, one of which is broadcasting. And it's been my honor 
I feel very unworthy, but it's an honor to sit on that board. And we're talking about the need to spread the gospel and um, actually through radio. I mean, Will Graham was giving a report about the, the value of Christian radio. And uh, they were talking about one, one of the things that is so um, debilitating these days is loneliness and isolation. And marriage rates are down. A lot of people find themselves alone. But this is the thing that kind of stopped me in my tracks. They were talking about the effects of loneliness and stress and hopelessness on the body. And one doctor said this. I thought it was very interesting that really when it comes to your emotional state, your body keeps the score. And mm. Stress, hopelessness, loneliness, they said, brace yourself, but this was a doctor, that debilitating chronic loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. What it does to weaken your immune system and age people and break down their body. Sorry to be so wordy here, but yeah, the Bible tells us that we need each other. We need the Lord and we need other people. And we're, we're not designed to be autonomous and alone, are we? No, no, we're not. And Alex, when I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So we, we first and foremost belong to God, but then we also belong to each other. Yeah, we do. We do. And, you know, we hear a lot about my rights. And when, whenever anybody like a preacher or, you know, people in positions of leadership talk about, you know, uh, life and our nation, this, uh, I just got through teaching a class on government all this week on the, the Constitution. And as James Madison said, our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Well, when you talk about moral boundaries, and, and I'm, I'm not talking about salvation yet, I'm just talking about living morally, a lot of people will say, but what about my rights, my rights? Well, our, our freedoms are not unlimited. Now, we have liberty. But that was uh, intended to mean um, liberty within some moral boundaries. But a lot of people, I mean, I've talked with hundreds of college students, and they have the mistaken notion that means that they assume their, their freedoms are utterly unrestricted. And really that, you know, unrestricted freedom with no moral boundaries is really anarchy. And that's not, uh, that's not what any of us want. Well, I'm blessed that we have rights, Alex, but do we talk about responsibilities that much? Amen. The founders of the country, they, they talked more about duty than rights. In other mm -hmm. words, responsibility. And um, so we're living in a, in a very much a lawless culture. Not completely, but to a large degree. Everybody thinks, you know, I have the right to do whatever I want, but we, we really don't. And especially... Let me tell you who, who especially doesn't have the right to do whatever, but the responsibility, and that's Christians. Because um, years ago, Bill, you might remember this, there was a book called The Battle for the Bible. It was written by somebody named Harold Linzel. 
came out probably in the late 70s. But Harold Lenzel said, in every generation, the church must once again commit itself to the authority of Scripture. And and that's why, and I know that, look, those of us that, that sincerely do believe the Bible and, and what the Bible says about every topic it addresses, people are like, yeah, but, you know, why don't you give people the freedom to do whatever? Because we that have taken on the mantle of Jesus and we're Christians, we are under the authority of, of God's Word. I mean, we've been set free from sin, but that, that freedom doesn't mean that we live any which way. Um, the church of all people must, by word and by example, show that we are living within the boundaries that God has given, and we find those in the Word of God. Yes, we do. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. He's written over 20 books. He has spoken at over 2,200 churches and conferences worldwide. And uh, he's the founder of The Alex McFarland Show, which you can hear on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. And he also has The Truth for a New Generation conferences. And every time I think about your conferences and how you spend... a a big portion of your summer speaking to kids. As we talk about this honoring your body, I would imagine kids in particular are fairly obsessed about how they're dressing, how they're uh, taking pictures and posting them, and their the words that they use and uh, the friends they make. And the questions that I always wonder is, is what they're doing honoring God and how is it honoring the community that they're in. Are those fair questions, Alex? Those are fair questions. And, um, yeah, I was an awkward teenager. Uh, Bill, the teen years were not easy for me. You know, but I remember growing up, you know, you want to fit in. You want to feel like you belong. You, um, they probably don't even use this word anymore, but you don't want to be uncool. I mean, that was right. the, the greatest paranoia of the 70s and 80s teen the, the dreaded uncoolness. And so as kids, we, we do, you know, silly, immature, conforming things. But remember Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I matured, I put away childish things. And the one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that our identity is in Christ. My worth, my value as a person, it's not in some external performance or... Do I wear the right clothes, have the right body image? Did mm -hmm. I get the best selfie? What was so sad about um, some young people, and listen, we, we at our camps, we'll be doing seven camps next summer. We'll be doing one in Montana, which is kind of, sort of, kind of in your realm of the world, maybe a little bit closer well, than... Both states start with the letter M, if that's helpful. Yeah, that's true. Minnesota, but, Montana... They're not that but, by the way, if I can I give the website for my summer worldview camps? Oh, of course, Alex, please e do. Equipretreat.org. Equipretreat.org. But here, here's one of the beautiful things is that we are liberated from our happiness being about how many likes we got. Mm -hmm. and we have an altar call. Like, if you've ever, you know, did I get enough shares? on my Instagram post or my TikTok or whatever. And we, we call kids to, you know, come and pray and understand. Yeah, sure, it's fine to 
put stuff online that's appropriate. And if if all my friends like it, hey, that's okay. But my life, my value is in Jesus, not how many shares I got on a social media post. Because kids, I mean, moms and dads may not realize it, maybe they do, but I mean, there are a lot of kids that spiral into depression if they you know, got dissed on social media or got unfriended mm-hmm. or didn't get enough shares. And oh my goodness, isn't life so much more than what the fickle mood of the moment is? So true. But when I think, Alex, about the mission we have before us to follow biblical truth, I have to has I have to ask myself every day in every situation, is what I'm going to do or set out to do going to be honoring to God? And am I putting others before myself or am I putting myself first? That seems to be a thought I've had the last couple of weeks, which has been yeah. quite challenging. Um, you're, you're a wise, godly person. I, see, when you and I talk, I get convicted because I'm like, wow, Bill Arnold, that guy is following in the footsteps of Jesus. And uh, you, I can tell you, you really take it seriously. I know I, I quote so many Bible verses. And I, love, I was on the, the show and they said, man, all you do is quote the Bible. But, you know, that's our, that, that shapes our beliefs and behavior. Mark 1044, Jesus said, the one who would be greatest among you will be the servant of all. So Jesus puts a big affirmation on serving others. And Bill, even psychologists say that the, the the happiest people think the least about themselves. On the flip side, the narcissist, the, some of the most depressed people, and I mean dangerously so, are the people obsessed with themselves. Narcissism. And so one of the pathways to just getting set free and having joy is to serve others, Mark 1044. But um, First Corinthians 10, Paul said this, uh, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or beneficial. He says that in First Corinthians 6 and First Corinthians 10. So here's the thing of Christian liberty. All right, if, if we put our faith in the Lord and we're born again, we are set free. We don't have to get saved or stay saved by some outward work. So while Paul says, look, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial or God-honoring. And uh, the beautiful thing about it is that as we walk with the Lord, God changes our priorities. Bill, I, I think about who I was when I was in college and I became a Christian and what I wanted for my life and what I thought was important. And I, I look back and I'm like, I don't even know who that was anymore. And, you know, it's not burdensome. I was talking to an atheist, and he was like, you Christians, you've all, you got to do these things and not do other things. And I was like, it's not like that at all. The, the, the stuff that was the priority in my life before I knew the Lord, that's not even anything I would think about or want to pursue anymore. Did you have that experience in your, in your journey, Bill? Um, I would say, yeah, I did. Did yeah, God changes our priorities. Oh, He does indeed. Yeah, I, 
I'm just thinking back and and realizing the story you just told is so familiar to so many people listening right now that God God got in and changed priorities and are we glad that he did. Yeah. I mean, uh if I sinned, God would not love me less. I would still be a born again Christian. Um Ephesians 4:30 says don't grieve the Spirit of God who indwells you and seals you. Um, so, yeah, a Christian is set free, but is this the wise thing? And is this God's plan for my life? That's what we've got to ask. And Garrison Keillor, the storyteller, prayer home companion, yeah. I like what he said. He said, God's will is what we really would have wanted for ourselves all along, if we had only been wise enough to seek it. So true. I think that's true. That's so true. We're going to take a little break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. If you have a question or comment, let me know, 877-933-2484. You head over to Alex's website, alexmcfarland.com. Be right back. Oh, there's so much sadness and desperation and loneliness, especially at Christmas time. It seems to me that there is almost like a big magnifying glass on the world, and we see problems just magnified, and we see people in their desperate situations almost worse than ever. But there is something we can do about it. And when we think of the story of Jesus, that is the story of hope. And if you have a story to tell, and you can give hope to someone this year by sharing their story. We want you to do it. You can go do that at MyFaithRadio.com. I encourage you to do it. I'm back with my friend, Dr. Alex McFarland. Alex has written over 20 books. One book of his I love, and I love to pick it up, is The 100 Bible Questions and Answers, Inspiring Truths, Historical Facts, practical insights. And if you are shopping for some great Christmas presents this year, I would recommend you checking that out to the person in your life with a curious mind, a person that is trying to grow in their faith and and has a lot of questions that they're they're asking. And this is a uh, hundred great Bible questions that, that uh, Alex and his uh, co-author uh, put together. So for example, as I look at the book, Alex, uh, if you don't mind, um, sure. What is it? Hey, may I tell you something? Oh, yeah, please. Volume 2 is out. Oh, wow. Well, why am I the uh, last to know? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it just <laughs> came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's uh, it's in Sam's Club. Okay. It's in Barnes & Noble. Nice. But it's, it's, we were going to call it 100 More Bible Questions and Answers, but it's titled 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. Now, the awesome. first one that you mentioned, which came out about two years ago, has a tan cover. The new one looks very much like it, but it has a navy blue cover. And so they're both out. People, I mean, we've just got so much feedback. People love it. And in the new one, that's really the sequel, we deal a lot with marriage and parenting and raising children and the the questions that um, children, middle school, high schoolers ask. So... Mm -hmm. um, Shout out for the new 100 Questions book. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm yeah. anxious to get my own personal hands on a personal copy, which I believe I can do if I know how to do that, which I do know how to do. I, I'm headed to the post office <laughs> very soon. All right. Let's let's ask I want to ask just a couple of questions. This came out of your your other book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers. Why do Christians say the Bible is God's word? How can we know? Great question. Um there's a very short answer and a, and a not so short answer. Why would we believe the Bible is God's word and not just one of many ancient books? Jesus said so when he was raised from the dead. Now, and I think about this, um, the most well-documented life of the ancient world and the most well-documented preservation of the words of anyone from antiquity. And in a number of places, Christ, very unique authority, virgin-born, sinless life, rose from the dead. Jesus attested to the authenticity of Scripture. And one of many verses I could give is John 10.35, where Jesus said the Scripture cannot be broken. But some other reasons, I mean, we, we honestly believe that the Bible is a word of God because it's got some attributes no other book has. An amazing unity, amazing indestructibility, amazing scientific accuracy, amazing historical accuracy, amazing prophetic accuracy, amazing worldwide influence, amazing uh, worldwide circulation, amazing life-changing power. And all of these things, it's unity, fulfilled prophecy. Bill, I mean, if you take these things together, I mean, the Bible is just no ordinary book. I mean, it's it's influenced history immeasurably, plus the only man that ever rose from the dead affirmed its authenticity. So it, it, it's reasonable to accept what the Bible claims for itself, what the Son of God claimed about it, and its amazing, miraculous power. I mean, who would have thought? And the Bible says in the last days, just before the return of Christ, um, Israel would be reborn. And that happened after 1,900 years. I mean, so uh, I think we would do well to give serious consideration to what the Bible says. I agree. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Alex, what does it mean that the Bible is God-breathed? Oh, great, great, great question. Well... You know, it says in Second um, Peter 1, 19 through 21, that the Bible did not come by the will of man, but holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The big technical word is theopnostus. It means God breathed, that it wasn't just, you know, arbitrarily dreamed up by man. You know, I, I heard that um, one atheist said, skeptically of the Old Testament, bronze-aged peasants wrote their best guesses about who God might have been. It wasn't that at all. Just like you and I are, you know, uh, we're, we're phonating, we're talking, mm -hmm. phonation, we're, we're, we're speaking out words. That's what the Bible is, the, the Word of God. And the, the Old Testament writers seem to understand that. They, they said, you know, that... Um, that it was the Word of God. Um, it, it's very interesting that even 
the Jewish people were so meticulous about the preservation of their scriptures and some really good books to help kind of begin to get your mind around this. I've written about it extensively, but I, I think there was um, How We Got the Bible by a guy named Neil Lightfoot. And, um, you know, where did the Bible come from? James Kennedy wrote a really good book about this. But the Jews were meticulous about the preservation of their scriptures. And the scribes, remember Jesus dialogued with the scribes. Well, they, they were counters, and before they would make a copy, I mean, they were so OCD about it, and that was, that's a good thing. They would be ritualistically cleansed and blessed by the priest. They would make a copy, and they would count the letters forward and backward to make sure that the copy squared up with the source document from which the copy was made. Um, why were there, they so obsessive about the preservation of Genesis through Malachi because they believed, rightly so, they believed it was the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Alex, why are there so many versions of the Bible, and, and how would I know what version to use? Well, um, let me say a good word about versions and maybe a little bit of a critique of the publishing industry. One of the reasons there are a lot of versions is because translators put um, the Bible in vernacular that's accessible. And the Bible was given in Hebrew and Greek, and because most people in various localities around the world have their own what translators call their heart language, translators, they exchange the words. So it's, you know, in Hawaii, there are translations of that dialect in China, in South America, in the Middle East, Arabic, you know, Hindi, Bimba, you name it. And in English, there are English translations. Now, let me say this. Translation is a very, very precise word exchange program. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. But in the original language, the Greek, which I've read and do read, the Greek says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish. So let me dispel the notion that the translations are different from each other. They're, they're really not. I mean, they might rephrase it. They might put it in a language that's a little more colloquial or accessible. But the, the proliferation of Bible translations is not a bad thing because you're still getting the Word of God. I will say to the question, but why are there so many? Sometimes translators put out translations because they can print Bibles and make money. And, and I, I've even read that some great scholars have said, look, for the time being, there are plenty enough English translations right now. Because, I mean, you know, we, we've got it in, in languages and reading levels. And so what, what are the best translations? Well, I mean, there's, I'm going to name some that are very trustworthy, very wonderful. The ESV, mm -hmm. English Standard Version. NLT, New Living Translation, New American Standard, NASB, um, 
the New King James, there's the HCSB, Holman Christian Standard Bible, that was published by Lifeway a few years ago. That they're they're all good, mm-hmm. and they're all the Word of God. Um, a word is like a container in a way. Imagine you've got you know dishes, and you want hey I'm going to fill this dish with this item, and I'm going to fill this dish with this item. That's almost like a word. And what is the, um, the, the, the contents of the container? Well, words mean things. Sin, redemption, eternality, restoration, Son of God. And so whether you say it in English or, or whatever dialect, the meaning that God gave is still being conveyed. Mm. Well said. Thank you, Alex. And uh, what a great joy it is to hear your voice and have you on the show. I hope you have a wonderful December. And I don't know if we're chatting again before Christmas, but if not, Merry Christmas. Well, I hope we do get to chat again before Christmas. Yeah, me too. But in case we don't, Merry Christmas to you and the beloved listeners of Faith Radio. Indeed. Thank you so much. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can learn more about Alex at Alex McFarland. Com. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to uh, talk to Richard Barr about how to get proximity to the homeless. That's all next. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, you missed a lovely conversation I just had with Dr. Alex McFarland. As always, he is insightful and sensitive and understands God's Word so well. And today I want to turn the focus uh, to how do we understand the homelessness around us and how do we serve the homeless and reach out to the people who are so desperate and so needy and I can't think of anyone other than my friend Richard Barr to join us today. Um, he has an incredible ministry to the homeless and has quite a transformed life himself as a result of serving the homeless. He's authored a couple of books. One is called Amazed, Why the Humanity of Jesus Matters. And the other one is called Those People, the True Character of the Homeless. Richard, nice to have you back. Merry Christmas, Bill. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to you. I want to talk a little bit today just about us and our proximity to the homeless, and how do we best sympathize with the homeless? Yeah, you know, when I was uh, contemplating coming on today, I was praying about this just a couple of days ago, and and I felt like I, f- I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me that word proximity, and it's a it's a word that really has never occurred to me in reference to. And I was even thinking beyond the homeless; I was just thinking about the poor in general, people people that are suffering in great need, and. I was thinking about how the the proximity to the poor, proximity to the homeless, has been an important part of my faith journey. How I think it is, um, it can be an essential part of the our sanctification process. You know, as we live out our lives here, and and really cultivates our hearts to to break it over what breaks. You know, what breaks God's heart. Mm-hmm. When I consider. Uh, homelessness, which is hard for me to do because I've never spent a day out, outside of having a place to live. So I'm, I think I represent a lot of listeners right now who have tuned in and thought, well, 
because of God's goodness and grace and mercy, I've I've been housed my whole life. But if I was houseless, um, I can only imagine the uh, depression, the uh, loss of uh, of hope, and all the things that come alongside with that. And I I struggle often because we don't know exactly how to best serve. Um, I know you've got a powerful ministry where you start with serving breakfast five days a week. Uh, talk about the origin of that and how that has really become quite a powerful ministry. Yeah, and actually, if I could could correct you, it's actually seven days a week. So we we serve 365. Yeah, only correct me off air, Richard, not, not on air. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. So we, we actually you understand do, the rules, don't you? I, I, yeah, I got it. Sorry. Okay. I'll snap in line here. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we, we actually serve every single day at 365. It's been, okay. uh, it's been an ongoing ministry for the last 15 years in, in my, uh, the city that I live in. And I really started with a, a friend of mine, uh, that his heart was broken over homelessness and began to serve a simple, uh, nutritious, warm breakfast outside of a homeless shelter on the street. And I was one of the early guys that joined in with that, uh, along with others. And it's grown into a full-fledged ministry where we've got seven different teams that work each a different day of the week. And so I was just down there this morning with with Chris. Shout out to Chris Davenport. So it was her team today that was serving breakfast along with Andrew and, and Mike. And we served uh, about 40 people out of that shelter. So it's 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 been an amazing thing, not only for our connection to and serving and loving on people that are homeless, but it's been transformative for many of the volunteers as well. Mm-hmm. You have a great compassion for um, people who are in such a compromised position. And your stories that you've told have always captivated my imagination because you seem to be willing to take risks that a lot of people um, would be reluctant to take. And you also take risks that I can't recommend uh, women listeners taking. So maybe it would be nice to share a little bit about safety and and how to best reach out to someone who's standing at a street corner or someone who is in a really bad place, maybe not even at a corner, but just on the street somewhere. Yeah, and and we can actually move this towards the proximity conversation too, I think, ultimately. But in in my case... Uh, I, I never feel like I necessarily take un, undue risks. I guess having said that, that uh, I guess that's a very personal thing. Uh, in the back of the Those People book, there's actually an appendix that gives some tips about how to deal with panhandlers. I just know that because whenever I, I give a talk anywhere, it's one of the most common questions that comes up. So I try to try to head that off at the pass with the book. But there's other there's very simple things that relates to panhandlers that we can do. People question, should I give money? Should I roll my window down or not? Um, I think that's a very personal thing. A lot, of, a lot of women are very concerned about that. And so I would urge them, well, if you encounter somebody like that and God prompts you, he puts that burden on your heart that you should be doing something, but you don't feel comfortable stepping into that to perhaps use that energy to try to find something then that you feel like fits you better to be able to, again, change your proximity, move closer to the poor. Mm-hmm. I love some of your stories, Richard, where people have encountered you, they have received the hospitality of the uh, morning meals that you prepare, and you've been doing this for, what, 17 years? Just, again, 15. Is that the number? 15? 15. Yeah. Yeah, so 
Um, those stories, I think, are some of the most encouraging because a lot, a lot of us can hand some money to someone at the corner, but that's it. We, we maybe see them again, we, we maybe we don't. But some of the people you have cultivated relationships with have really gone on to get out of homelessness and to get reconnected to their family, become sober. Um, it really is uh, remarkable. And I, I just, I know we'd be inspired to hear a story or two like that. Yeah, you know, it's really not about the numbers. It's really about the one. You know, I often, uh, it, it can the work can be discouraging because uh, before I tell a story, I guess maybe start with that, that, um, you know, there's countless people that I encounter uh, on a regular basis and, um, you know, people make their own choices. There's a lot of people that, you know, maybe I never see again. Uh, and there's those small number of people that do engage and and enter a relationship and and ultimately maybe you know choose to and have the skills to move forward in their life and then ultimately hopefully the great hope for me is is that they find faith in Jesus Christ and um, that's a that in my case uh, I'm a relationship guy so it's it takes building a relationship and building trust with people so that they c- care about what I care about so story. Um, I've maybe told this one before, but my dear friend Kirk, who passed away a year ago, I served him a bowl of grits on Curry Avenue 11 years ago. We became good friends. He was a transplant to the the city that I live in, and uh, we struck up a friendship. He was a guy that, uh, among a, a handful of guys that would come to my house for holidays, and we just continued to stay connected. He got a diagnosis of colon rectal cancer Um uh, would have been just about two years ago now. And up to that point, when we had faith-based conversations, he he really resisted and just told me that he really wasn't ready to go there yet. And so it took the cancer really for him to decide to finally surrender. And that's very much what he said, that he said, you know, he really understood and um, made a faith commitment at that time. So I'm grateful that, you know, over 10 years, I mean, that we continue to be friends and stay in relationship and ultimately uh, he and I are going to meet together in heaven, and I'm, I'm uh, beyond grateful for that. Those are such uh, encouraging, inspirational stories that you would have a friendship that would originate based on, um, on ho- a homeless encounter. I don't think many of us can chalk that up on on our list of things that we've done. Maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but um, I know that at holidays you usually have a lot of people over at your house that are having a Thanksgiving meal or celebrating some special occasion with your own personal family, and you met them uh, when they were a homeless person. Well, and if you don't mind me reorienting this, it's not really about sensationalizing any of the things that I do. And you have to understand that I've been doing this for 15 years now. So it all started with a first faithful step commitment to show up with my friend Dave and serve a bowl of grits and oatmeal. I mean, that's really where it began. That was the beginning of changing my proximity and moving closer to people in need. And I, my challenge really today, as I consider being on this program is maybe for everybody to assess, you know, so where am I at in terms of proximity to the poor? How close am I to people that are in need and is there like a single step of faithfulness that I could take to move closer to that? I, I don't want people to look at, you know, all of the amazing things that God has been doing in my life and all the great stories that I have. I mean, I want people to see themselves in the story. 
I appreciate that, Richard, and that's one of the things I like about you, of which there are many, that you have this humility about you, which I so appreciate. But sometimes it also helps as well when somebody takes charge and says, this is uh, a risk I took, this is a, a connection I made, this is eye contact I made, this is uh, an invitation I gave. I mean, that really is helpful to, for all of us to hear, that it was not uh, a huge step, it was a simple step. And you did it carefully and prayerfully, and you invested in a person beyond just a 30-second or 60-second or encounter. Yeah, it was a series of, of steps, and and the reality is is that um, I don't follow every prompting. I mean, I, you know, probably for every one that I've stepped into, I've probably said no to countless other ones. But we can all follow that same journey by just taking that that next step. So again, I I, I really want people to see themselves in this story. And do say more about that because I love I love that direction that you're going with this. Well, you know, again, you know. Take an inventory. Where are you at? When's the last time that you've really served people in that are impoverished? When, when have you stepped in when a neighbor maybe has had a need? You know, it doesn't have to be the homeless. It could be anybody in any sort of situation where you recognize somebody on your own block might be struggling with something and move closer to that person, meaning, you know, do something, become involved, try to join them in their journey and in their struggle. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break. If you have a question for Richard, you can learn more about Richard at Richard Barr, B-A-H-R, richardbarr.com. If you have a question about uh, having a relationship, um, encountering a person who is homeless, or uh, you have a question about how do I best serve uh, given my skill set or my um, nervousness about being in the, in the, amongst the homeless community, maybe that's a legitimate concern you have. You can call or you can uh, text your question over to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. Welcome back. Richard Barr is my friend and guest who's on the show today. Richard Barr, B-A-H-R dot com. Richard, as we want to serve and love on the people who are poor and, and in poverty, how do we, what do we learn from Scripture? How do we best do this? And what does the Bible uh, teach us? You know, I think anybody that's been a faithful follower for some time is knows the account of you know, Jesus being anointed at Bethany, and and uh, I've got the Mark version here, but um, not to read the whole thing, although I know you love to hear Scripture read, Bill. I do so love it. You can read I, all I, of it. I know you do. So, I'm gonna, so I'll read the one verse. So it, it, just paraphrasing, you know, the woman comes in, she anoints Jesus, and he gets pushed back from uh, his followers at the time, and he says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me for Always, you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And I sometimes, I uh, think, misunderstood that, thinking it almost sounds defeatist, like we'll always have poor among us. Like, like, is there any bother? I mean, why bother? Because it's 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 a it's a zero sum game. I wonder if the followers at the time, you know, Jesus made 
constant and regular references to what would have been Scripture then, which we would call the Old Testament now. And, I, and, and he may very well have been calling on this verse in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 15.11, it says, There'll always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. And so the, the people at the time, I'm, I'm just guessing they probably understood that reference that Jesus made by just making that little quip that he said, you'll always have poor among you, that it would relate back to that Deuteronomy verse. That's uh, that's great. I love that connection. And probably there was a, a clear understanding of the people listening to Jesus, uh, understanding exactly where that came from. And so what do we do with that? And, and you know, it's a it it's such a topic that, you know, I've got, you know, we don't have time, but I mean, I've got all kinds of scripture references that relate to how we're to care for the poor, how, you know, you know it, the poor are poor are, people are referenced in uh, to be blessed in the Beatitudes, of course, uh, lots and lots of references to that. So, you know, again, what are we to do with that? And that that's the thing that I've been wrestling with is all of this scripture that relates to the poor. What are we to do with it? And if mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Edwards, I, I, I love to quote this, well, I'll paraphrase it, but you know, the 18th century pastor, where he really talked about in one of his sermons that God really has no needs. There's nothing that we can do for him. So when we want to serve God, he really, we're to give to the poor. God has no needs. So the poor are really like our proxy, like we're supposed to give to the poor. We're supposed to meet their needs in order to be able to love God. And when you think about how Jesus reoriented the question of what the greatest commandment. And he said, well, there's actually two, you know, love God, love others, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about when we love others, when we meet the needs of the poor, how that's actually loving God, we're really doing one and the same, all in the same action. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a complicated question, and I, I would love more scripture, um, but I also have the question of the poor and the people who are down on their luck and need help, and the people that would say to you, um, I don't want to get sober, I don't want to work, but help me anyway. Your thoughts on that? Um, what does help look like? That's a great question. That's the question I would ask. What does mm-hmm. help look like? You know, we're not called to, you know, enable people or to allow them to wallow in their own sin or bad choices either. You know, think about, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy that is years into recovery from addiction and it, you know, you can make the parallel there about being codependent and codependent people basically enable addicts to continue in their addiction. So there's never, I think, a healthy place where we are to enable somebody to continue to allow to, you know, wallow in their own sin or their poor choices. Mm Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, there's also, uh, it's hard to figure out who's who and, and try to be kind and gracious in the moment and also trying to assess a person's uh, needs. Is there leading questions you can ask somebody that would help get an answer quickly? I'm going to answer that differently. I'm going to okay. say that I, I tend to err on the side of grace. And I make mistakes. Uh, and sometimes I I haven't stepped into something where sometimes 
you know, I think that I, sh- I should or I could. And it does take great discernment. I think that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit can give us when we lean into that and we ask for him to help guide us in what those what those choices are. But um, I don't know. It, it, it's probably too complicated, to quite, or too big a question to think about how to triage somebody's situation with a single question. I don't know quite how to answer that. Yeah, because certainly we have been told by panhandlers and people on the street things that we go, well, I don't know if that's true. You're just using that as a way to to appeal to my emotions. So I didn't know if there was a, a clarifying question or, or something that you always do when you when you give or when you offer somebody something. Do you do you say this 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 money I'm giving is in the name of the Lord or do you do you bless them in some way or do you get their name and say you'd like to pray for them on the spot? Is there anything you can you can encourage us with? I've done all of those things. I know you have. Yeah, I've 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 done every single one of those things. Um I would say that I I do my best to be sure that I don't trip somebody up in sin. And what I mean by that is that it's one of the reasons that I I rarely give money. It doesn't mean other people shouldn't give money. Maybe maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to give money to somebody specifically. It might not even be a panhandler. You know, it could be a neighbor that maybe sure. has a utility bill issue or something like that. But I rarely give money for that reason because I think that that can be a real trip point for people because it um, it has a great impact on relationships. And whenever I give money, I never lend money. I always give money. I don't want to lend money because now all of a sudden there's strings attached and there's expectations in that. So I've given money away to all kinds of people, not mm-hmm. even just the homeless, but people that are in poverty and people that have needs. Yeah. And I never lend it because I don't want that, you know, my expectation not to be met or their expectation not to be met. The mm-hmm. relationship is the paramount thing to me that I want to build. Yeah. Richard, thank you. Richard Barr has been my guest. If you go to his website, richardbarr.com, he's got this lovely breakfast uh, serving ministry, which is always looking for help. If you live in the greater Twin Cities area, you can learn more about it. It's powerful. richardbarr.com. That's all. We're going to take a little break and come back. Dr. Jarrett Stevens is our guest in Hour 2 in the Red Word series, The Words of Jesus. We're going to jump into John chapter 3 and the conversation with Nicodemus. That's next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.